You are slipping into a distorted dimension. Reality and fantasy are changing places past the event horizon. Bullies are victims, men are women, and abuse is love. You weren't here just yesterday. Reality is still out there. But to find your way back, you have to notice it. And now, the Disaffected Podcast with Joshua Slocum. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. Thanks for joining me. A couple things to talk about today. The first one I want to talk about, I hope will be interesting to you, uh, particularly to gay men who may be listening, but other people who may not have thought about this. I'm not sure if what I'm going to describe is common to every gay man, but I suspect that this issue is familiar to many of them. It's about relating to men, relating to the ways that men socialize with each other, the way they test each other, the way they size each other up. So a couple of things happened this week that I'm I'm going to use as a springboard uh, to talk about this. A couple interactions on Twitter. One of them was ended negatively. The other one started negatively, but ended positively. I was participating in a thread, a conversation. I think it was about COVID. No, excuse me. It was not about COVID. It was about the the original poster was drawing an equivalence between the Black Lives Matter protesters and the truckers convoy in Canada. And he was characterizing them both as, quote, aggressive tactics and saying he was worried that these aggressive tactics were uh, becoming normal and mainstream. My question was to him, do you really see the Black Lives Matter protests of 2020 that resulted in police stations being burned, government buildings being burned, 25 people dying, and rioting and looting. Do you really see an equivalence between those and the convoy of truckers going across Canada to protest vaccine mandates, which have not been violent, have not resulted in 25 people dying, have not turned into burning buildings? So anyway, this is the conversation. And a Twitter friend, a former Twitter friend, Uh, jumped in and started participating and it seemed like he was he might have been a friend of the original poster and wanted to uh, defend him but he was kind of writing off my question and saying well I think he means this and no I'm sure he doesn't mean this and I well I got a little bit I I found it tedious and I I said back to him I'm like well you may think that But I didn't ask you the question. I'm asking the original poster the question. I hope that he will answer. And I got back a snotty, some kind of snotty response. I don't remember exactly what it was. 
And so I responded again, and I said, you know, I don't think I've said anything unreasonable. In fact, I'm certain that I haven't said anything unreasonable. I think that is a very clear question, and it's a reasonable question. I don't think it was out of bounds to ask it. And what I got back from my friend was, lol, okay, Josh. Yeah, I know. I'm talking to you about Twitter drama. I get it. It's not the biggest thing in the world. I also get that these are parasocial relationships, not real ones. Just go with me. I am allergic to passive-aggressive dismissal. I really don't like when people, especially people who know you to some degree, or at least know you in the context of social media, understand how you argue and how you think. I really dislike it when somebody comes at me that way and does a snotty LOL or some other lingo. And it's to me, it communicates dismissal and a little bit of contempt. So I, you know, I asked him, why are you characterizing what I said as unreasonable? Why are you getting, why are you giving me this snotty dismissal? And he just said he wasn't. No, that's not what I was doing. It wasn't passive aggressive. I didn't dismiss you. Yes, you did. You, you're allowed to do that. But yes, you did. We're not just going to have a conversation where you say you didn't do what you did. And it went back and forth a few more times and I lost my cool. And I said, you know what? Fuck you. And what I get back from that is, you okay? The you okay response is usually the beginning of a, are you having a mental health moment response? And I'm very allergic to that as well. This is the kind of thing that my mother used to pull on me, try to convince me that I was crazy. I was being unreasonable. I was imagining things that weren't happening when I could see them happening right in front of me and asking, you know, kind questions like, are you sure you took your medicine? So I said back to him, said, let's clarify here. Did you mean to communicate by that, that you are worried that I am having a mental health issue in this moment right now? Yes, that's exactly what I meant to say. Okay. To hell with you. You're blocked. (sighs) So obviously that got my dander up. And... You know, I thought about it, and every time something like that happens, that kind of interaction happens, I question myself. I say, did you overreact? Because I am capable of overreacting on some subject matter, and quite frankly, on social media. um, I do have a little bit of a short fuse. It's not a great thing. I know it's something to work on. So it is possible for me to misinterpret and it is, and I have jumped the gun and I will jump the gun again. But the more I thought about it, the more I decided that, no, I really did detect passive aggression in this person. And I asked him other people without prompting them and preloading their suppositions too much. I asked them to look it over and, and, and tell me what they thought. And 
the response was from about 10 or 11 people was, yeah, that was rude. It was passive aggressive. And then he was dishonest about it and wouldn't own it. Then I had another interaction with another dude on Twitter, also a mutual follower. And I was wrong on this one. I was primed. <laughs> I was, I had primed myself to lose my temper and I was still worked up over the prior interaction. And he was just joking with me, but I didn't see that. And I don't know him as well on Twitter. So he was less, um, was less clear to me, you know, whether he would react that way or not. And he said something, oh, what, what was it he said? Oh, come on, Josh, don't be silly, slow brain. Making a joke about my last name, Slocum. Because I couldn't tell whether he really did mean to insult me or be dismissive, I asked him right out. I said, okay, I need you to tell me, are you trying to communicate aggression? Are you trying to insult me? Or is this laughing and joking? And he confirmed for me that it was, in fact, laughing and joking. And he said something that was illuminating. He said, I think you are misinterpreting normal male ribbing that is good-natured and you're misinterpreting it and you're reading it as aggression. I'm not trying to be aggressive. I'm being friendly with you. And I thought about that and he's right. I think that's exactly what happened. Why does this happen? When I was a kid... I didn't have a father figure worth a damn. The man that my mother married, my stepfather, uh, the father of my brother and sister, was violent. He was violent toward me. He was violent toward my mother. Um, brutally violent. One night he tried to kill her. This was the role model that I had in the home. You know, when I, and when I say the guy beat me, he beat me. It wasn't just spankings. It wasn't even just spankings with a belt. It was hard hitting. And there were times that he shoved my head into a wall repeatedly. At one one time he gave me a concussion. I was also, well, I was an effeminate sissy kid. I was sensitive. I know, I'm still sensitive. <laughs> I was sensitive, bookish, creative, uh, didn't have any physical coordination, wasn't good at sports. Uh, was afraid of doing sports, afraid of even participating in PE, because I felt as a child so alienated from maleness, so alienated from masculinity. I wanted to be a boy the right way. You know how kids think. But I was also a little bit disgusted by boys. I, I thought they were crude. I thought they were insensitive. I thought they were mean. And frankly, I expected nothing but violence from them, nothing but violence or mockery or humiliation. And when I was a little kid in school, looking back, I think probably there were a lot of boys that I could have been friends with if I had been able to understand that they were not necessarily my enemy. But but my idea of, of boys and men had been fixed by that point. They were enemies. And... When you are an effeminate kid, a soft and creative kid, and when you have violent parents, and when you have a mother like mine, 
who vacillated between coddling me and comforting me and letting me cry in her arms past the point where most boys generally do. She would vacillate between that and mocking me for not being a real man. I mean, I've told this story on the show before. You know, she would see me sitting on the couch and she'd see the the slight flabby pooch of my stomach. And one day she said to me, get outside and get yourself some exercise. No girl is going to want you. Girls are going to admire you for your physique and not your flab. So get out of my sight. Of course, my mother is a borderline. She has borderline personality disorder. So this back and forth, hot and cold, love and hate, is a very common cycle. And it's deranging. It is literally deranging. It confuses the hell out of you and it leaves you, you have no idea which way is up. So no matter whether I was feeling alienated from boys or whether I wanted to imitate boys and be more like them, I I, I couldn't figure out what the right thing to do was. As a result of this, and, and as a result of other things, most of my relationships, most of my friendships over the years have been with women. They have been my mentors when they were older, mentors and mother figures, many of them really wonderful and did things for me um, in a maternal way that my mother never did and and that helped propel me out into the world and, and make me a real grown up. But my my friends in school were girls. I wanted to hang out with the girls all the time. I sat at the girls' lunch table and I learned female ways of relating to other people. And it was easy because since I was so sensitive and since I did cry easily and I did talk about my feelings, I fit in in many ways with these girls. But what I didn't get was an understanding of how to relate to men in a friendly way. And what this guy on Twitter said to me, that you are mistaking normal, good-natured male ribbing for aggression, I think is absolutely true. Men, men tend to have joking insult relationships with each other. They bust each other's balls. I know this because I have some male friends some close gay male friends, very small circle. We have this relationship with each other. We rip each other to shreds. It's like, girl, you going to wear that outside? You look like a heifer. Now, I know that it's overlaid with, with gay intonation and gay lingo, but it's very typical male banter. You know, you suck, go suck a dick, blah, blah, blah. I was never able to feel comfortable engaging in that kind of banter with straight men because I had an idea in my head that all straight men hated more effeminate guys, uh, were afraid of us and were so afraid of us, especially if they thought we were gay, that they would sooner beat us up or kill us than actually have a friendship with us. This isn't true. I know now that this isn't true. But it formed my psyche in an important way. And so I, here I am at 47 years old, still trying to learn how to have male friendships. Um, well, I'm kind of glad those two things happened because it gave me a chance to look at that contrast and, and really consider what the second guy said to me. Um, so if you're a gay man and if any of that sort of makes sense to you or resonates with you, 
um, you know, leave a comment somewhere. Send us an email, us at disaffected.fm. And it is time to take a short break, and we will come back after that and talk about how we as Americans look at service workers and their relationship to us as customers. Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. Welcome back. What I'm going to talk about now I'm going to pick up on the TV show that comes out on Sunday nights, too, and I'll get into it in a little bit of a different way. On the TV show this weekend, I'm going to talk about the ways in which public life and work life have been feminized. And I know I've talked about it before, but there's a lot more to say about it. And this topic service workers and how we treat service workers and what we expect of them, I think is in some way tied into uh, what I believe is the feminization of our public discourse, the elevation of feelings over facts, feelings over responsibility, and an automatic sense that, that we have, those of us who are either leftists or disaffected former leftists, I notice this behavior still, even among people who, like me, have moved away from leftist politics, don't call ourselves a left liberal anymore. We have an emotional hangover from the ideology that divides the world up into victims and oppressors. And they're very stark dichotomies, man oppressor, woman victim. Black oppressed, white oppressor. And it extends to things like service workers or what people used to call working class people or people who work for minimum wage. They are victims. They're victims of capitalism. They are stuck in a dead-end job. And we as customers have privilege. We're privileged because they are waiting on us and they are making a low salary. So we are always in a position where we as customers are obliged to, oh, I hate that I said obliged because <laughs> I have to use the word again and it's going to sound corny. We are supposed to have an attitude of something like noblesse oblige, where we just cut slack for service workers if they don't do their job if they're rude, if they won't acknowledge us, if they're lazy. We're not supposed to say anything because as a customer, we're oppressive and we don't have it as bad as they do. So why are we being mean to them? And being mean to them <laughs> is often an accusation that you get from simply pointing out that somebody who works at uh, Price Chopper Grocery Store or McDonald's is, is either rude or incompetent. Well, they're working for minimum wage. I mean, what do you expect? Come on, give them a break. No, I won't give them a break. I have worked for minimum wage. I was a waiter for 12 years. I worked retail and food service for at least 15 years of my life. I know what this, I know what it's like. But I actually took my job seriously. I felt that I had responsibilities, you know, and I know how awful customers are. 
I mean, I, I don't even have to go back to my days of being a waiter and working in retail to know this. I see it in front of me. I see the way customers often treat service workers. But you know what? I see service workers being shitty and incompetent and apathetic and lazy just as frequently as I see customers mistreating service workers. So I came across this short clip um, from TikTok. And I guess, you know how last week I gave you a fake commercial because we don't have any real ones? I'm going to give you some fake audio. Uh, We're not, I'm doing these audio-only podcasts from home. So I'm not quite set up with equipment yet to pipe audio directly into this recording the same way. So what I'm going to do is bring the microphone over (laughs) to my computer. And I hope this uh, ends up being legible. No, it's not legible. Audible? Parsable? Anyway, just a second, you'll hear it. Okay, here we go. This woman today was giving me a lot of pushback on her mask policy at work, even though it was clearly outlined to her when she stated that she wanted to dine in with us versus taking it to go. We're a coffee shop. It's not like you're eating food. It's usually just like a couple bites or a sip. After like the third or fourth time that I asked her to please put her mask back on for the safety of the other people around her and our team, she was like, this just, it doesn't make sense. It's not sanitary. What if I get food down in there? You, I, I just don't even think people realize that service industry workers spend like anywhere from six to 12 and even 14 hours a day living in this mask. I have to eat all of my food and beverages that I eat in a day doing this like you can do it for 30 minutes 30 minutes to stop fucking oh my god okay this young woman i don't know her my gut tells me because i can see her uh as well as hearing her although you guys can't my gut tells me she's probably a perfectly nice reasonable person She's clearly frustrated. She has a reason to be frustrated. You know, she said, we're living in this mask six to, to 14 hours a day. I'm. It is stressful to constantly hear from people, why do I have to do this? Why? I, I get it. I would be frustrated in her position too. But here's where I part ways with her. And this is an illustration also, not only of... <sighs> Not only of the way that people criticize you when you criticize a service worker, because when I bring things up like this, I very often do get that criticism. I get that pushback, you know, give them a break. They work for minimum wage. First of all, no, they don't. I don't know what it's like in all parts of the country, but around here in Burlington, Vermont, the grocery stores and the fast food places are paying 15 to $20 an hour. That is not minimum wage. It may not be a, a handsome salary, but it is not poverty wages. It's not. So they're not working for slave wages, first of all. But in addition to that, this is an illustration of how normal, decent people become flying monkeys. And flying monkeys is the sort of informal lingo we use to talk about people who end up enabling and acting out the wishes of narcissistic or authoritarian people. And it comes from the Wizard of Oz. The Wicked Witch of the West had an army of flying monkeys. They did her dirty work for them. 
I was a flying monkey for my narcissistic mother. Uh, many children of narcissistic parents have become flying monkeys. Many of us have been in relationships with people who are more dominant or authoritarian. And before we figured out what their character was, you know, we may have run interference for them. We may even have abused and mistreated other people on their behalf. I know I have. So notice how she said, she, so she's all frustrated and she says, I don't think people understand what it's like for service workers. We are living in this mask six, seven, 10, maybe 14 hours a day. I have to eat my food in this mask. I have to take it down to drink, da, 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 da. So what? The idea put forward here is since I suffer this way, you don't get to complain because my suffering is worse. I'm a service worker. You're just a customer. I have to do this all day. You can do it for 30 minutes. No, madam, that's not how this works. Your managers, your company, maybe the town that you're living in that has a mask mandate, these people are all asking you, compelling you, to do unreasonable things. That customer was correct. She was factually right. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't stop disease transmission. It is not a reasonable and proportionate response to what is basically a jumped up flu to make everybody put a mask on to walk into a business, especially in restaurants where they make you put on a mask to walk to your table. But as soon as you sit down, the COVID can't get you and your mask comes off. She's not wrong. Your customer wasn't wrong. Yeah, I understand. You can't change the store or the restaurant's policy. You don't have the power to do that. And I also understand that by the end of the day, you're probably really sick of hearing it from the customers. I would be too. But who else are they going to say it to? You know, this is normal. People are going to push back on this stuff. And just because you are made to do something ridiculous doesn't mean that other people don't have a right to complain and don't have a right to point out that it is ridiculous. And there's something else too. In order to change the way our society is hysterically dealing with what people are calling the pandemic, which was absolutely manufactured, it's a psyops operation, we have to exert pressure on other people. That is how humans negotiate with each other. If you're unhappy with something, you have to push back on it. People are going to push back. I wish, I'm tired, I'm tired of people always having an excuse for why they can't speak up. Service workers, all of them have an excuse. I can't afford to lose my job, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I get it. I can't afford to lose my job either. Yet, yet, I speak up about this stuff, even though the kinds of political opinions that I talk about on this show would not go over very well with a lot of the constituency in my completely unrelated job in the nonprofit field. When I push back against these mask requirements in stores, and I don't always do it, I'm not saying you have to do it every single time. When I do it, I take care to be polite to the service worker. I take care to tell them that I understand that they don't write these policies. 
that I understand that they are not the city council. But nevertheless, I hope that they will communicate to the people above them that the customers are tired of this, the customers want change. That pressure has to be exerted on somebody. So yes, I do mean to put a little bit of social pressure on the front-facing customer service worker. I do hope that they will pass that along up the chain. Sure, there are other things I can do, and I've done them sometimes. Send, you know, send a, <clears throat> excuse me, an email to the management. But it's not out of bounds to exert pressure. We have not committed a social sin by saying these things. We are not abusing poor slave wage service workers. So I won't go on any longer about that, but um, hopefully it'll give you uh, some food for thought. And that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the audio only. Again, we are going to be putting out the TV show as we do every week on Sunday. Look for it on YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey. And hey, do you like Disaffected? Audio or video or both? We'd really appreciate your support. It costs money to do this, and we'd love to have some of yours. If you want to support our show, go to patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Financial supporters get access to our donor-only Zoom hangouts. They're not recorded. They're not scripted. They're private. We get to talk about whatever you want. And uh, we're having one this Sunday. What would that be? 11, 12? Is it the 12th or the 13th? I probably screwed up the date on this too. Well, anyway, it's the beginning part of February. If you are interested, all the details and the link are at Patreon or Subscribestar. Once you sign up, you'll get access to that. Take care, folks. See you again soon. Well, hello, listener. It's Mommy again. You're quite welcome for the fine program. Why don't you show some gratitude? Send Mommy some money on Patreon. Patreon.com slash disaffected. Or Subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You wouldn't want Mommy to starve, would you? And if you don't love your dear mother, you're not invited to find us on YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey for our hottest weekly content. I guess this is goodbye forever.